keeps them. He can still stand. And Father, we know that as we see the world getting darker and darker, Lord, we know we can become lighter and lighter for this dark world. And we know that as we learn, and we have to learn, and that's why we're here. We want to learn this. And so tonight, we are ready to hear from you again. May we sense your hands on our cheeks so that we just concentrate on you and hear your words. But Lord, we want to we wanna be able to say yes to your will and to your way, even though it's different from our own. And Lord, may we decide, may we resolve, may we make a choice to follow you. And Lord, that sounds so easy when we're sitting in here. But Lord, when we're confronted face to face with, with temptation and when we, when we sense that our own self just wants their, its own way, Lord, we want to be able to say, I'm deciding to follow Jesus. Lord, even though the world is singing a different song. Lord, may we know that we, we have a cross before us. So may, may we, maybe these songs are old and, and maybe they're kind of new to some because they're just used to new songs of today. But Lord, these songs really speak and they go with this lesson. And Lord, we, we just want tonight to, to be so pleasing to you. And, Lord, we are ready to receive into our heart. We want to be able to hear you meet us right where we're at. Lord, you have a way of doing that, and, uh, and we expect that again tonight. So we pray this all in our Savior's name, who makes life so worth living. Amen. All right. Now, here is, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. That's right. Uh, now, tonight, we're going to do, we are definitely going to do um, Daniel chapter 1. And I hope that you did your lesson for chapter 1. But um, before we go into Daniel 1, I want to set the setting. I want to make sure you understand the time frame. Um, the Bible is not in chronological order. And so the time that Daniel was, was exactly after Jeremiah. And so we're going to do Jeremiah chapter 1 first. So before you turn to Daniel 1, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. It's one of the major prophets. Now, because he was more important, it's just that he's got a bigger book. He follows the major prophet Isaiah, and he is... Um, a major prophet, and he wants us to know. I mean, it's very explicit that Dan, that Jeremiah is writing this. It's very explicit. Now, Daniel, we don't quite know, and there's so many, there's so many differences of opinion. And and you know what? It's not going to matter because what we need to know, we're going to know. But but um, Jeremiah, it's very clear because he writes it in the first person, and, and I give him credit because he is he dares to say what his feelings were when the message came so clear. And so, anyway, Jeremiah chapter 1, starting with verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. 
Now, does that, does that sound like all of a sudden God said, oh, I think I'll just pick Jeremiah. And, 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 no, this was planned. And, and I want us to see that God does have a plan for each and every one of us. And look, look what he says. Before, before you were even formed in the womb, I already knew how and why you were going to be created. And, and he says, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That's a big calling. That's a big job. And to hear it from a sovereign God. And Jeremiah recognizes that the message is from a sovereign God. Because he says, ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. And I am only a child. If you want to put it in everyday words, um, he basically is saying, ah, sovereign Lord, I don't think so. I don't think this is, this is for me. I mean, and now you're going to hear the excuses. I'm only a child, and he probably was young, and he probably thought to be called to this kind of enormous responsibility, he probably felt that, you know, I need more experience, and I, I need, need more age on me. And so maybe he really thought that he was young, I'm only a child, but then he says, and I can't speak, I don't know how to speak, and and. Can't this be related to how God deals with us? I mean, he calls us to do work for him. And in fact, you know, once, once we've gone to the cross and we've become his, and, and now remember how we said it last week, we are, we are not our own anymore. Once you've accepted Jesus as your savior, it's not about you. You old is gone. Behold, all things have become new and not a fixed up old you. You are brand new. You have a whole new purpose for living, a, a whole new reason to get up in the morning. It's just different now. You are now giving yourself over to the one who not only died for you, but saved you. And you know, that word, I think, is such a, a huge word. You know, have you ever heard somebody say or ask, are you saved I know that seems to be like a Baptist term or whatever. In fact, when I was a young kid on Children's Bible Hour, there was this, this um, preacher from Wealthy Street Baptist Church, and he would come in regularly and do devotions at Children's Bible Hour before we recorded. And he was a little stature of a guy, but he had a booming voice. And he would come in, and he'd look at his kids, and he would say, Are you saved? Scared me like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, a little Reformed Dutch girl, you know, I didn't even know, what are you talking about? Am I saved? What do you mean? And I think that is a term that, you know, we really got to go over because even though I might have heard it for the first time from this big booming voice and scared me, but, you know, the more I realized what being saved means, it is priceless what if I, when I come to the cross, I now, I'm born again, and I'm saved. And I'm saved from what? I'm saved from myself. I'm saved from all my sin. I'm saved from standing in judgment. And we're going to talk about judgment in a minute. But we're saved from judgment, and we're saved from hell. I would say that's quite a statement when we say, I'm saved. And, and so... You know, here, Jeremiah is kind of stepped back, and he is, he's not confident, and he is making up excuses, and, and the Lord is going to come right back at him. 
He's going to come right back at him and said, well, but the Lord said to me, do not, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. I mean, in that one verse, did you notice all the powerful words of a sovereign God when he said, do not say, and you must go, and you say whatever I command you. I don't think Jeremiah has much of a choice, and his excuses are just absolutely worthless. This is God's plan. And before you were even created in the womb, this is, my, this is my plan for you. This is what I've appointed you to do. So don't give me those excuses. Don't tell me because I will enable you. I don't call without enabling you to be able to do the work I called you to do. And then he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. And who is them? It's the thousands of of people. It's the thousands of people that are a part of the kingdom of Judah. Now, just a little history lesson. After, after Solomon was king, the kingdom of Israel had a, like a civil war. And after Solomon, it split. The kingdom of Israel split. And 10 tribes were known as the kingdom of Israel, and then two tribes were known as the kingdom of Judah. Now, the kingdom of Israel, when it was all one, was composed of 12 nations, and they were from the 12 tribes of Jacob. I mean, Jacob's sons, they, they were the ones that had the, the, the land, and so if you ever look at a map in the back of your Bible, you can see how the nation of Israel was, was kind of all divided among the 12 tribes. And they were from the sons of Jacob. Because Jacob was, you remember when he took his family to Egypt, all 70 of them? And, it was, and Jacob's name was turned to Israel. And then while they were 400 years in Egypt, they turned into a, a million plus. That 70 turned into a million plus. Well, then when they were given the land that God promised them, then it was incorporated with the 12 tribes of Jacob, his sons. But if you look at that, you'll notice Joseph and Levi are not a part of that. And you're going to look and look on that map, and you're going to say, where's Joseph then? Where's Levi? Well, Joseph's two sons are on there. Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, they took over. And I really don't know why, but they're the ones that took the land instead of Joseph. And then also Levi, his, his tribe turned into the priestly tribe and they didn't need any land. So there's still the 12, but, but it's not Joseph and Levi, it's Joseph, two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, just so a little history. But then you have 10 tribes that incorporate the kingdom of Israel and then Judah and Benjamin just for the kingdom of Judah. Now the kingdom of Israel all ten, all ten of those those little nations among the big nation, uh, they all they had kings, and there wasn't one king that was good. There wasn't one king in the kingdom of Israel that led the people into a relationship with their God. I mean, you just read 
you know, first and second kings, first and chronicles, and it just tells you that, you know, one king after another in the northern kingdom the, of the ten tribes, now one king led them in the right direction. And so God's message is very simple and hasn't changed. It's just this. You obey me and I'll bless. And you disobey me, there's consequences. It's your call. It's whatever you want. Now, the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they were warned. They didn't listen. And God said, well, then you're going to be taken over by Assyria. And they did. The Assyrians came in and took over the, the, the northern part of Israel and the ten tribes and never to really be heard of again. And so what's left, I mean, the, those ten tribes just kind of engrafted into all those pagan nations that then took over them. And that's just exactly what God warned them about. Now, the two little tribes of Judah and, and, um, and Benjamin, you're going to see how... God had a plan, and I'm going to take you that in Jeremiah in just a minute. But just so that you know this history lesson right now, Jeremiah is now the prophet to these two tribes of Judah and Benjamin called the kingdom of Judah. And Jeremiah has been told by God, I command you, you have got to tell him this message. Now, he is... Very nervous because, I mean, he doesn't have an assistant. He doesn't have a secretary. He doesn't, I mean, he is one against the thousands. And so God says, do not be afraid of them. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough because they're going to seem to be coming at you and, and it's going to be overwhelming for I, do not be afraid for I am with you. Now that had to feel really good. That promise, I'll be with you. I mean, we can appreciate that God did not, did not um, spare anything. He was honest, and he told Jeremiah right off the bat, um, don't be afraid of them. I'm going to be with you. And then he also said, and I will rescue you. Now, that I would have gotten a little nervous about. Because if you have to be rescued, that means that there's something not too good going on. And God's got to come to your rescue. So right off the bat, God was straightforward with him. He said, now, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm going to be there with you, and I will rescue you. Then verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now, I have put my words in your mouth. Isn't that so comforting to think that God touches his mouth and puts the words in. How often don't we say, I'm not going to say anything because I don't know what to say. Now, I have to be honest with you. I ask the Lord to show me what to say, but I also ask him to show me when not to say anything. It's just as good to ask him for, there's a time to be quiet and there's a time to talk. But here, God is reassuring Jeremiah, I'm making you a prophet, and a prophet foretells. The pro a prophet has to stand up and tell my words. And I want you to know, I will give you those words. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. That's quite a job description. 
you are going to be used to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. And now the Lord is going to use the senses of seeing. Now, Jeremiah heard. Now, the Lord says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Those, I'm sure, were words that gave Jeremiah chills because I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking if, if, if I was Jeremiah and, and I'm even having second thoughts about, but I'm not going to dare tell him again because I told him once that I'm just a kid and I don't have the experience and I can't speak and I don't think this is the right thing for me. I've already verbalized that and he came back and said, you're going to do it. But yet, you know, Jeremiah is still, I think he's thinking plenty. He's not going to say it out loud, but he's thinking, uh, I think that, yes, I will do that, but probably not for five, ten years, you know, when, I, when I've gotten older and more experienced. And this could have been going on in his mind because when, when God said to Jeremiah, what do you see and what is this almond tree? This almond tree, I had to look it up. I didn't know, and it's so fascinating when you really dig into Scripture and you find out that this almond tree is the first tree that blooms in the spring. So the message is very clear. You are going to get going, and it's going to be, it's going to be really soon. It's going to be now. I want you to get going with this message. We're not going to waste any time. And then God says these words, and I'm going to be watching that my word is fulfilled. And that, like I said, it had to give him chills because he, he saw, again, that the Lord knows what I'm thinking, even if I don't say it. He knows what I'm thinking. And he says, it's not going to be five, ten years down the road. It is going to be soon, and I'm going to be watching that you fulfill what I've commanded you to do. Yeah, I mean, God is serious. And then the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? This time, what do you see? And I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north. And the Lord said to me, this is what that means. From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the people of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. See, all the northern kingdoms, all, all of Israel has now been engrafted to all, the, all of the northern, like, like um, well, now Babylon has become the most powerful nation. And he says this, their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. 
you know, Judah, the kingdom of Judah, you know, they, they had a lot of kings that were similar to the northern kingdom and that did not lead them in the right direction. They had a couple that were good. At least they had a couple. But for the most part, and that's why Jeremiah was told, and in you know, when you see that, I've summoned all the people of the northern kingdoms, you would think that when the people hear this message and they know what happened to the northern kingdom, to the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, and they know how they've now been engrafted to all of the pagan nations and now just a part of this all-pagan world, You'd think that they would have listened and they saw that what God says he does. There should have been no question about the fact, well, you know, maybe he won't. They watched it happen. And that word judgment, when he says, I will pronounce my judgments on my people. You know, if you've ever studied the Old Testament, I'm sure I'm, I've, I've, been, I've said it too. I mean, how many wars, how much, how much gruesome do you have to read? How much blood and guts? I mean, it's just, it's just horrendous. And, you know, you, you just you think, why was there so much? Why did, you know, like... like even that one story, you know how how one of the one of the people kept some goods that they weren't supposed to, and they hid it. And who's going to know? But the Lord made sure that that he was found out, and he and his family dropped dead. I mean, we know stories like that exist in the Old Testament, and you think, wow, God was so tough. But in the Old Testament, he was trying to show them and us that he does what he says. And if you obey me, I'll bless you. But you disobey me, I will see to it that judgment is called upon you. There's consequences. So when you read the Old Testament, be warned. Now, we're living on this side of the cross. We're living on this side of Pentecost. We're living on this side of, of grace. The grace, that amazing grace. But don't get too cocky. Don't get too self-assured that, that there isn't going to be judgment because we have been told and been warned that there is going to be a judgment. But the beautiful thing about, remember when I said, are you saved? When you've been to the cross, when you've taken that humbling walk, when you know it isn't church attendance and it's you just by osmosis because you had a great family that just kind of, you know, led you to the Lord. No, everybody's got to take that walk and realize that they are in need of a Savior. And I will say that in every lesson because I, I don't think some people get that, especially when they've just been raised in the church. I was always a Christian. No, you weren't. you got to make a choice that you want to follow Christ. That's what Christian means. Well, I don't know the day that really happened. Well, you know what? It did. You know, it, it, because there was a specific time when the angels in heaven rejoiced over a sinner that repented. So I just have to ask you, was there a party in heaven because you repented and you realized that you needed a Savior? And you took that humbling walk. And I will stand and say that message until my dying day. 
Because in a, in a community, in an area where, you know, there's churches on every corner and the, our community is just so full of good people that do good deeds and there's going to be a judgment and the only one that could save you from that judgment is Jesus. And when you know that you have been saved from that judgment and you will not hear him say to you, I don't even know you. When you've come, when you've done that, when, you, when you've taken the only terms that he set up, this is how it happens. It cannot happen any other way. Salvation is found in none other but through the cross of Christ. When you understand that, what a relief to know that you will not stand in front of him and hear those words, I never knew you. To me, that's got to be the ultimate. But, but we will stand in front of him. And I think this is such a good motivator that Paul has taught us about. That, that yes, we will stand in front of Jesus face to face. And no, we won't be in, in judgment for our sins because they have been bond paid for. They're all covered with the blood. However, we will give an account for what we've done with our salvation and to me, that should motivate us because do you want to stand in front of the one who gave us all for you and have nothing to give? That's why Paul says we must work out our salvation because we will stand in front of him. And he takes this seriously and, and we have to too. And he is telling the people of Judah, he's telling them, I, you did not listen. And Jeremiah, you have got to tell them that it's over. No more chances for them. They're going into exile. And then verse 17, he says to Jeremiah, get yourself ready. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. He knows that these are going to be a hard, tough words to say to the thousands. They're not going to want to hear this. Do you know that Jeremiah was a prophet for 40 years? And he's called the wailing prophet because he didn't have one convert. And he never gave up. He continued to use the words that the Lord put in his mouth. And he never gave in. And he kept telling them, he kept warning them. And then the Lord says, Jeremiah, you got to tell them that I'm going to pronounce my judgments on my people. So you need to get ready. You need to stand up. You need to get strong. And when your strength is gone, my strength in you will be perfect. You can count on that. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I will make you, look at you, you think you're just a kid. You think you can't speak. You think you got a lot of excuses. Look what I'm going to do. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. You better get thick skin, Jeremiah. It's not going to be an easy road, but I will be with you and I will rescue you. Take confidence in that. 
and then flip over to, to the 27th chapter of Jeremiah. And hear, hear the word of the Lord. In, in chapter 27, verse 4. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. This, tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. And I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This wicked king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the greatest power in the world at that time, pagan as pagan can be, and the Lord is saying, I will hand all your countries, all the two little tribes, I'm going to hand you all over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And then in Jeremiah 29, with verse 4 again, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, does that, does that, is that hard to accept? When you hear things like God saying, I carried, I carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I mean, that, that's, to me, a hard pill to swallow because God is doing that. But I just say, if you're in doubt, if you're in doubt, go to Psalm 107 and just read that sometime. And, and read how, how during that psalm, the people of Israel are just absolutely rebelling and they're, they're just going against God and how many times he tried and he would get their attention. And one of the times it said he took all of their water supply and he turned it into a desert. And you'd think, well, that is not real nice. That does not sound like a loving God. But he disciplines those he loves. And every time you read that they rejected him and he got their attention, he submitted them to some hardship, and they got their, their attention was spurred on, and they realized that they needed to come and repent. And every time they repented, the Lord delivered them and forgave So, you know, sometimes we don't like to think that God is allowing things to happen to us. And I'm telling you, it's because he loves us that he is doing that because he knows that we're going to start in the wrong direction. And once we start, it's so hard to get back on track. So, yes, he carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then he tells them, now, build houses and settle down Plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters to marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. I don't think at all that he's saying, go ahead and, and intermarry and, and have, take pagans as your spouses. I think from when I go back to Genesis and see what Abraham, you know, told, you know, his his kind of his second hand, his right hand man said, go, go to my people and find a wife for Isaac. I mean, you read all the laws about 
um, they were to marry within. So I still believe that this is what God is saying. You marry within our people. But he's saying here, I want you to build houses, settle down, plant gardens. Um, I want you to keep going. I want you to keep living. This is not going to be um, over in a week and a half. And we're going to see what he says in verse 10. Because he says, I want you to know, because the verse right above it is that there's going to be people that are going to say to you, ah, oh, God doesn't really mean this. It's not going to really happen. And if it does, it's not going to last long. And, and, and God is saying, don't believe him. Because, no, I, I know exactly how long you are going to be there. And for this reason, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. See, this is so beautiful because he says to those two little tribes of the kingdom of Judah, he says, yeah, the other ten, no, they, they've, they're, they're, they're gone. But I'm bringing you back back right to Jerusalem because I have plans for you. Look at this. You know this verse, but did you really know that this was the context that this verse was written in? When 70 years are completed, I will bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Of course he's got to bring them back because of his plans. And we know that the whole Old Testament is symbolic in showing us that a Savior is coming. The whole Old Testament is getting us ready for this. Even when we study Daniel, we're going to see that it really all pertains to Jesus. And so here, I promised you. And as much as God will, will do what he says when it comes to consequences because he doesn't put up with sin and, and he will not let us get away with that and there, there will be judgment, he also says, I have given you a promise. And that promise is to bring a savior through the kingdom of Judah. We know from the prophecies that Jesus came from the, through the tribe of Judah. And so they're not going to go into oblivion. They're going to be brought back. And the reason 70 years, because that's the, the timeline that God said, you're going to learn. It's kind of like a 70-year timeout. You're going to learn. It's like you're going to sit on that chair until you learn. In 70 years, you're going to, what's going to happen is that you're going to listen. You're going to finally listen. You'll finally seek me and find me. So I think it's very, very clear that 
We hear the message given to the kingdom of Judah, and obviously they didn't listen. And we know that he said Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in, and I'm going to hand you over to them. So now turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Now, you've heard the prophet. You heard how the prophet even came into being, how God had, had just picked him before he was even born. He gave him exactly what he needed, even though for 40 years he had just, a, I would say, the most terrible job, but yet he did it. He warned him, and they rejected it. And so now we read in Daniel chapter 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Didn't we just read those exact words? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. See, that's another hard one. He called Nebuchadnezzar his servant because this was part of the plan. I've got to get my people to listen because they're not listening. I can't get their attention any other way. So they need a 70-year timeout, and they will learn. That, believe it or not, is a God who loves us so much. And so the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And that had to be crushing. You know that those things in the temple, they were so cherished. They were so valuable because they represented the, the home, the house of God. And then all of a sudden these pagan get their grubby mitts on these precious things and they just give them to the gods then the king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the, and the nobility now when I read this first chapter even though even though you know, it seemed like the whole kingdom was just in rebellion. There had to have been some families that were living right and teaching their children right. And, and it kind of reminded me of our world today. And it seems like that our world has just gone so dark and so fast. And even our nation has just turned a corner that is not the right direction. And, and I think we all just shudder. And yet, I think, you know, even though it's getting darker and darker out there, I look at all of you and I think God is always ahead of people. He will make sure that there's always a people. There's a remnant he keeps. And isn't that so exciting to think that you're one of them? To me, that has got to be the most priceless reward to know that when all is dark around me, when it seems like chaos is just turning more chaotic and it's just not getting any better this world really isn't falling apart. It's falling into place, and we know our future, and we can claim I am his child, and I will be with him forever. These are promises, and it's because he promised 
Israel that he would send a Savior through them. And he kept his word. And we have a Savior today. But there were these families, I think, that were similar, that the remnant. And even though they all got hauled into exile, because how could Daniel, I mean, he's a young kid, and, and picture this, all of a sudden, you're, you're in, you're having, you're having supper, and, you know, you're minding your own business, and yes, he, he, the Lord said, okay, we got to keep going, we got to keep living, and, and so, you know, yeah, they, they're planting gardens and, and all that kind of thing, and, and they're eating dinner, and all of a sudden, a hard knock comes at the door, and here comes the, the chief of the court officials, and he looks around the table, and he spots Daniel, and he just takes him. Now, any mother or grandmother, I'm telling you, that has got to rip your heart out. I mean, we know this story so well, and we know how it turns out, but we have got to take this as it comes. And all of the kingdom of Judah has been taken into exile under this horrible leader, Nebuchadnezzar. Everything is so culturally wrong and you're trying to still maneuver worshiping God in your little space and they pound on the door and they take your beloved son so you know yeah young young men he would they were told to take young men without any physical defect handsome showing aptitude for every kind of learning well informed quick to understand qualified to serve in the king's palace i mean do you have a picture of daniel in your mind you know maybe 15ish i mean he's i mean i got a picture of him in my mind and he is drop dead gorgeous in my mind I mean, he's without defect, but the thing is, he's got something between the ears. So, you know, it's not that he's just all into his physique. He just happens to be a good-looking man, and he's without defect, and he's very intelligent, and he's quick at learning. It's kind of like he just has everything. Just one of those guys that just has it all. But, you know, there was more to Daniel, and that's why he was picked. Yeah, he had, the, he had all the characteristics that the king wanted. But he had a heart that God could work with. And that's so important to know. He was... He, this, this man that... Or these young men that were chosen, they had to learn the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they would, they would enter the king's service. So three years at Babylonia University, learning all their literature, their language, learning their culture. Now... When you're thrust into something like that for three years and you're just being, you know, inundated with all of this new information and new language and then, and, and you know what, first of all, they changed their name. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Now, when Israel, when the Israelites would name their children, it always had God in it. The name always had God in it somehow. Now, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. So this is the way Israel named their children. That the almighty sovereign, the one God, was somehow incorporated in their name. First thing that the Babylonians did was change their name and give them names that took God right out. Daniel was named Belshazzar. Hananiah was named Shadrach. And Mishael was named Meshach. And Azariah was named Abednego. These were their new Babylonian names. And God was nowhere to be found in these names. However... It must have been tough to, to know that this new name is now taking God out and, and you're being, you know, just overwhelmed and with all this information and for three years. So how does Daniel not, I mean, the temptation to just go with it, to just, to just be a part of them. And this is why I chose the songs that I did, because, you know, when all this is happening, there's got to be, that's got to be going through Daniel's mind. Okay, I got a new name, Belshazzar. And now, and now I'm going to be learning a whole new language and a whole new culture. And how do I still stand for what my mom and dad taught me? How do I stand for, for the truth of God? How do I remain faithful? Look at this said, Daniel resolved. This, is, this was his first, I think, decision. I think this is what he had to do. He resolved, and that word resolved, I think it means he had to decide. He had to make a choice. He knew that this could be very dangerous, but he had to do it. It's like he was singing, I'll say yes, Lord, yes to your will and to your way. I am not going to, I will do what I'm told to do, but I cannot change who I am. I cannot change my heart. So he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now look at verse 9. Does God have a plan or what? Does he do what he promised? He doesn't call us to do a job without making jury. What did he say to Jeremiah? What does he say to Daniel? What does he say to you and I? What, does he, what did he say to Joshua when he tried to... Fill Moses' shoes. I'm there. I'm there. And look at it. It's so, it's so right here. You can see God was there. When Daniel made that choice, God was already working in this chief official. He caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
I mean, this guy really likes Daniel. And he's saying, you know, I would just love to say yes to your request. But, but you know, I'm responsible to the king. And he just automatically thinks if I just don't, if I, if I let you um, get away with not eating what the king says you must eat, it's going to be on me. So Daniel, verse 11, he comes with this plan. I mean, he just says to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Just 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, I first thought that, you know, oh, maybe, maybe Daniel just wanted to be in a, vegeta- in a vegetarian diet. You know, and so I looked it up. I did. I looked up a vegetarian diet, and, and you, you read one article on it, and it says it appears to have low, you, you, you appear to have lower cholesterol, lower blood pressure, lower chance of type 2 diabetes, you, you will appear to have lower body mass index and overall, you know, low cancer risk and low risk of chronic disease. But then the article says, but you also have to, no smoking, no drinking, and you got to exercise. Because I read another article on being a vegetarian, and it said, and be careful because your cholesterol could go up and your blood pressure could do. Just the opposite of what the other article said. And that pretty much proved to me that it wasn't that Dave, that Daniel was, was saying that because, you know, he wanted to be a vegetarian. This was Daniel's way of saying, because, you know, back then you know that in Leviticus and, and carried out was this strict diet. And their diet is kosher. And they can't just eat anything. In fact, you know, meat especially. They can only eat cows and sheep and goats. Only fish that they can eat is those with skin, with scales and with fins. So, you know, I looked at the other list and the meat, you know, and meat was probably big on the king's table. And they're... It probably was just filled with pork. And they can't eat anything like pigs and rabbits and squirrels and eagles and owls, hawks, camels, kangaroos, horses. I mean, I know a lot of that sounds terrible, but, you know, they could just eat anything. And they could eat lobster and and clams and shellfish and all that. And I think that... Daniel probably was saying, you know, it's just easier for me to say, you know, know me. Because if every time they bring meat out and I've got to say, well, I can have a little, I can have this and this. He just thought, no, just, just bring me vegetables and water. So, you know, maybe, maybe this was a waste of time, but this is where my mind went. Daniel was not thinking ab- about his health and his physique. He was thinking about, I don't want to defile. I do not want to defile. I want to stand for the principles that I've been taught. And so he said, how about 10 days? Let's let's just see. And at the end of the 10 days, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. You know, I went back to a verse of scripture in Mark 
Mark 7, 19, Jesus was kind of battling with the Pharisees because they were talking about, you know, the food that the disciples were eating and, you know, and that made them unclean. And Jesus kind of, you know, he knew that he was introducing that this was going to be changing now. And he said these words, are you so dull? Don't you see? Think about it. That nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. It is not what a man eats that makes him unclean. It's, what, it's in his heart. And what's in the heart, if it's unclean, that's what comes out of you. But if you are concerned about having a clean heart. Remember what David said? I want, a, I want a new heart. I want a clean heart. I want a pure heart. Take all this sin away from me. Remember when he poured his heart out after his confession. A clean heart will produce clean actions. And then Jesus ended that by saying that he declared all food clean. And then, of course, we know in Acts, the, the story of Peter and Cornelia, Cornelius and the dream and, you know, all these animals that were unclean. And Peter said, oh, no, I can't eat that. And no, you can. It's not about what you eat. And even in that demonstration, he was saying, because, you know, at first, the, the kingdom of Israel, those were God's chosen people. And then even when Jesus came and then go first to Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost. And then Paul gets saved. And then he's this, he's this Pharisee who gets saved and gets to know Jesus. And he then becomes the apostle to the Gentiles because the gospel is available to all, even those dogs of Gentiles. Hallelujah. Gospel is for everybody, and this whole understanding. So then, they are in pretty good shape after eating 10 days of vegetables. And so the guard took away all their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Did you notice that, verse 17? To these four young men, God gave. See, he's in the equipping business. What he calls us to do, he will give us exactly what we need. And he gave these four men knowledge and understanding. He helped them learn that language. He helped them learn that literature. He gave them, Daniel, the ability and we're going to see this as we progress in the book. The ability to tell the meaning of dreams and visions of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, after the three years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. He found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and encanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. He lived mostly his whole life 
in captivity, in exile. And I don't see him wavering. And the more that we study, he, he has, God gives him the ability and often wondered, and like I said before, how do you live in that environment without getting sucked up into it? How does it not just suck you into its mold? Remember, that's what Paul said in Romans. Don't let this world suck you into its mold. How can you live in this world but not of it? How can you do that? And Daniel proves that you can do it. And God is there, and he will give you exactly what you need. Maybe I can give you a little illustration. You know, you know I sang for years since I was little girl, and I always, I, I promised the Lord I'd always sing for him. And, you know, it wasn't that many years ago, I got a call, and you know, to this day, I have no idea, except did the Lord want me to have that experience so that I would know and understand this passage of Scripture? I mean, he loves us that much, and he wants to make sure that I am able to teach this with confidence and with assurance because I know it works. You know, if you really believe your product, you can sell it a whole lot better. And maybe I had to go through all this just so that I could sell this, that you can live, you can live in a tough, hard, cold, paganistic world and still stand up and remain true to the Lord Jesus. I got this call, and it was from someone from MetLife Insurance. We, Linnell, we, we just want to know, we have six big conventions that we give a year. And then we have all the, the big corporates come, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like a rah-rah time, and we pump them up, and, you know, and, and we always have a singer that kicks it off. And we would like you to be the singer for the year, to be able to sing at these six places. I mean, one who was, you know, in, the, in our country, but also one in Bermuda and one in Bahamas. And, you know, was, and my first thought was, no, no, don't do secular. Don't do secular. And then I started thinking. I thought, didn't, didn't, we, didn't Jesus say go into all the world? I mean, by this time I'm old enough, and I'm not going to get sucked up into their ways. And, and they just wanted this patriotic medley, and the secular world does it. They bring you anywhere for just one song. So I said, now are you going to try to change me? You know, I mean, you want this patriotic song, and I can do that, no problem. But when I get there, are you going to try, you know, just kind of sucking me into your thing? No, 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 we just want you to come and sing that song. And I thought, I don't have to change. I don't have to be anybody different. I don't have to, you know, compromise. And so Tom got on the phone, made the arrangements, and I went to San Francisco the first time. It was my first trip and, and found it to be just absolutely great. And I, I met with them on the night before with all the, you know, the planners of this big convention. And then I, 
I got my instructions. And in fact, I, I even, they did throw this one at me, but I didn't think this was a compromise. They, they said, we have um, Tom Sullivan. He's a blind actor and he's, he's a singer. He's a singer too. And he would like it if you would sing with him, um, climb every mountain. I said, just like that, he, this actor wants me to sing Climb Every Mountain with him? I said, yeah. And I thought, you know, no rehearsal, no anything. And so the next morning, I went and I met him for the first time, and we hummed a few bars, and we went out there, and you got 30,000 people out there, and, and we sang it, and I nailed it. Am I such a great singer? No. In fact, I'm not only not a great singer, my voice teacher said to me once, um, I have 80 students and 79 sing better than you. That's what he told me. But then he went on. I mean, he was a wonderful man. He said, yes, I have 80 students and 79 sing better than you, but you're the one that I want singing at my wife's funeral next week. And, and you know... That said something to me. And so when I nailed it with this actor, I thought to myself, this is the Lord saying, I will be with you. And you will make a stand. Because the second time I sang, because I did the Patriot medley, but then, but then the second time, when they called me for the second time, then I went, and I forget where it was, but then I was sitting the night before because the rah-rah convention was in the morning, so we always met at night. And then they said to me, you know, you're different than any other singer we've ever dealt with. And they said, you know, and I said, well, what makes me different? And they said, well, you know, you, you come on time, you do what you're told, you don't have a bunch of demands. And to tell you the truth, I thought that was just common courtesy. So then they tried to say, well, you know, Midwest girls seem to, you know, be a little more wholesome and, you know, a little nicer. And, you know, you probably come from a good upbringing. And, you know, and I was nodding, yep, yeah, I have been privileged all the way through. But I said, you know, I would be, I would be wrong to not tell you. You ask me, why am I different? And I said, I'm different because of Jesus. And those, those men looked at each other, and you know what their answer was? We knew you were going to say something like that. See, you, sometimes we don't say anything, forgetting that the Lord put the words in our mouth to be honest and upfront, but we're, we're so afraid that we get embarrassed and we're so afraid of how they're going to react to us that we don't dare state it. And in this case, they were expecting it. So then they said, do you happen to know Amazing Grace? And I said, yeah, I do. They said, we'd like you to start with that this time. I said, well, I, didn't, I don't have it on any track. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't bring, and there's no piano around. And they said, that's okay. I said, I, I can do it a cappella. And I walked out there with just one little light on my face, and I'm telling you, as I'm standing here tonight, God was there, and I heard 30,000 people go crazy. I never had response like that. No fanfare, no big music, a cappella. But when we've been there 10,000 years, you sing that song like you mean it, and you've been there, so you know what it's done for you. 
that somehow comes out of your heart and it gets into your audience. And then the third time I sang, we were, in, we were at nighttime, we were going over the program, and then this is Linnell. We want that amazing grace again. And then we want the patriotic medley again, like you did. But do you think in between now, do you think you could say a few things? Now, do you think that the Lord, remember when I got that call? The Lord knew that I would not compromise. And yet, all you have to do, and you don't have to preach, they saw that I was different. They asked the question, you know the story that my first time working with them, my, my limousine driver got saved because, you know, huh, that was the Lord's plan to get, let life pay the bill to get me to San Francisco because the Lord wanted to use me to, to give the gospel to this limousine driver. I mean, what a story. I can't make this up. No one can make this kind of story up. But to me, this is the story that we're seeing, and that's why I can sell this, because I have been there. I am no Daniel, but I want to be. I want to be a Daniel. I want to trust the God of Daniel like he does. I want to be able to be so sure that despite all of the people that are in front of me, that I dare stand you know, I think we're going to really see that, you know, we so often, I think we so often think that when we're in a crisis or when we're in a pandemic and, all, you know, we think, oh, I just can't wait till it's done and then we can get back to normal. I think Daniel is going to teach us that even in the middle of a 70-year crisis, he's telling them, you got to go on living, And, you know, prosperity and work for the Lord can go on even in your exile, even in your hard time while you're waiting to get through it. I wrote a phrase down, and I just don't want to forget this. It says, keep doing the right thing when it seems like the wrong thing is happening. Keep doing the right thing. This is what Daniel did. He kept doing the right thing even when it was all wrong going around him. Don't just endure until Jesus comes. Don't just endure until he comes. Have you ever, have you ever heard the song? And I'm sure you have because I've heard you sing it with me. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold that city. Until the day God calls me home. Just think, until then. So in the middle of your Christ, in the middle of a pandemic, Keep doing the right thing, even though the wrong thing is all around us. Don't just endure until Jesus comes again. Let's keep busy because the darker this world gets, the more light we're going to be able to give off. Because the more light of Jesus that is in us. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this lesson. I say that every week. But your word is just so alive and relatable, and it's true, and it works. Salvation works. The cross worked. The Holy Spirit works. When we get self out of the way and we are willing to become that new creature in Christ, when it isn't about us anymore, when we really want to be in our Bibles, we really do want to hear from you. We really do want to change. We want all that you have for us. We don't want to miss it. Father, we know it's your word. It's, it's the word. And the word became flesh and it did dwell among us so that we could have a savior. That our sins have been bought and paid for. They're covered in the blood. But we just can't thank you enough for sending Jesus. We, we can't thank you enough for Jesus being the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And we thank you for leaving the Holy Spirit behind so that we can't because we, we, we couldn't possibly live this kind of life without your spirit. So thank you for leaving the Holy Spirit behind so that we can be assured and confident that all we have to do is step aside and watch you work. And thank you for loving us so much that you will discipline us when we need it. That you will let us go into exile you will, because suffering will make us sit up and realize who you are and what we have done when we moved away from you. So thank you for this lesson. Thank you for being faithful. You just never give up on us. And for that, we don't have words. The way we can prove it is to be faithful back to you. Well, Lord, we can count on your faithfulness being brand new every morning. And we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen. Okay, let's stand and sing this verse. Faithfulness. 